0: Welcome back to the Minimum Effective Dose podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Mike Perry, and I'm here with Brett Jones. We won't refer to him as the name that we were using before, <laughs> um, but you can you can get creative and 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 imagine what it potentially
1: could be. Um, anyways, Brett, how you doing, bud? Fabulous! Uh, an actual sunny day in Pittsburgh, so we're all celebrating. Uh, it only happens a few times a year, so uh, it's uh, it's quite the occasion. It's always sunny in Pittsburgh. Nope, that's Philadelphia. That's Dang Philadelphia it. and they don't yeah, no ne- never mind. I won't say what I was going to say about it. That's all right.
0: You can you could you can say what you were going to say. That's all right. No one no one listens to this podcast anyways.
1: <laughs> so uh the uh me kicking off, you kicking off. What you know, what? I just what sip my coffee about?
0: and and uh <laughs> I just sip my coffee and that I think you, th- you took that as a cue for you to start off, and, and you know what?
1: Exactly.
0: You're, you're a lot smarter than I am, so why don't you start us off, Brett, and I'm th- going to sip my coffee.
1: You, you threw the whole rhythm off, um, so, like we have rhythm. Um, <laughs> so in my mind, what, what we want to talk about today comes down to what I would refer to as program governors. Um, and governor meaning if you're a fan of NASCAR and they put a governor on your car, it limits the horsepower, so you can only go so fast um and you know school buses have governors on them that r- restrict them from going over a certain uh mile per hour and so with our programming like we need governors we we need things that help us understand where we are from an intensity perspective uh control our efforts um because there is a misperception out there that uh you know it's 100% or go home 105% which is impossible uh, but you know, the, the, the mindset is it's, it's go hard or go home. It's, um, you know, go to failure. It's, uh, and the reality is when you look at training, like if you'll just place some governors on your effort, if you'll just program a little bit better, your results, your recovery, everything else is going to improve. Um, and, and we can talk you know, more about that as we go along, but, uh, you know, within strong first, we talk about our strong first stop signs. And we have these things that say, okay, you should end your set now. And it was funny. I was just the online chat moderator for the strong endurance workshop down in, uh, down in Miami and, um, pretty much everybody. And by pretty much everybody, I mean, everybody that got called up, um, who, um, <laughs> who was going to, uh, you know, um, demonstrate or be a uh, part of a demonstration of one of the training sessions, um, all of them blew through the stop signs. They blew past these governors. And I think that it uh, is is incumbent upon us to uh, develop that communication system and develop that relationship where um, it, somebody knows when they've gone far enough into a set, whether that's strength training or conditioning. And so commonly uh, two really commonly used things that uh, will be discussed is RPE, um, rating and perceived exertion, Borg scale, uh, sort of conversation, and RIR, repetitions in reserve. And if you've read uh, Reload uh, by uh, Pavel, or you've uh, and Fabio, or you've taken Plan Strong, Build Strong, you you hear that term, repetitions in reserve. And so, you know, those two things are what we really want to get into today and then put them in context within a little bit of a discussion of kind of a classic linear periodization uh, sort of uh, um, setup. And so, you know, for me, I mean, I've been I've been swinging a bell for over 20 years. Um, I've been training since I was in the sixth grade uh, in some fashion. Um, I got a few years behind me uh, physically. Um not just because of my age, but because I, you know, I have trained for a while and I think I'm just now starting to get a really good handle on RP. <laughs> like it's a, it's been a difficult conversation, but for me with like iron cardio, like I'm able to go through and say, okay, the 36 now feels like a 32, the 32 feels like a 24. Like uh, I'm I, I'm starting to connect where my rpe is dropping based on the fact that this load that used to feel like a 36 and it's it's still a 36 kilo bell uh the load that used to feel like a 36 now feels like a 32 and that's telling me hey you need to do more with the 40 because the 32 is starting to drop you know to where it's an rpe 36 is starting to drop towards an rpe of five um maybe a six and so that rating of perceived exertion. Um, if I feel like I'm just starting to get my hands on it, a lot of other people out there are probably trying to to understand what RPE means. And then, um, so how do you use RPE with your folks? And then I just want to drill down on why listening to RPE would be important and um, why we don't want to peg it at a, a 10.
0: Yeah, so I think, first of all, I think coaches should be versed in, communicating rir rpe linear periodization wave loading like i think you should be able to have that conversation with your clients and describe it and and try to determine based of your communication what is going to be the best methodology to use with them because for some people rpe may not may not register with them right they don't understand what a seven out of ten is and and let's be honest if they've never lifted they don't even know they, they don't know what they don't know. So, I mean, you're, you're going in blind. So in a way, starting off with RPE may be bad for some people. It may be good. It really depends on the individual and what makes the most amount of sense for them when it comes to having that conversation. So... I think you really have to dig a little bit deeper to determine what makes sense for them. Um, For me, I've found that starting off with individuals using the RIR method, repetitions in reserve, um, makes a little bit more sense because I can say to them, hey, I want you to choose a weight where you could probably do three more with that weight, but I don't want you to do three more, right? And that's that's kind of one way to look at it. So I think you have to Communicate with your client early on and have that discussion. Now, one of the things that I did a long time ago was I put together this chart. And it was an RPE chart and it was a RIR chart, right? And it was on a one to 10 scale. The original Borg scale is on a scale of 20. But I found for, for using that 20 point scale, it's just overwhelming for people because they're like, wow, one to 20, like there's just too many options. It's kind of like going to the Cheesecake Factory and trying to order dinner. It's just, you can't decide what's going to be the best because there's so many options. But So I put together this little chart and I'll see if I can dig it up, but generally speaking rir and rpe has this in first relationship right so um let's say that you are working at an rpe of eight out of ten right eight out of ten you're probably going to have two reps in reserve because you're going to be working at 80% approximately of your max effort. So the cool thing is the math works out is if you're, if you're working at an RPE of seven, you probably have about three reps in reserve and same thing. If you have an RPE of six, you're looking at about four reps in reserve. So I'll show people this chart and I'll tell them, Hey, this, this chart actually has an inverse relationship and what makes more sense to you. And I let them answer it. And um, but, but again, it really depends on the individual and, how i'm working with someone right if i'm teaching a group um i'm gonna say hey guys all right we're gonna be doing bench press and for bench press today all right we're doing four sets of eight and i want your you know your rpe to be about a six or a seven if that doesn't make sense to you leave three or four reps in the tank that's all i'm gonna say pick a weight that you know that you could do three or four more reps but you're just not going to do it today and people are going to ask why not and that is when you have to as a coach you know, talk about giving them some runway. And what I mean by that is let's say that, uh, you're, you're asking someone to, uh, we'll we'll talk about a deadlift quickly. You're, you're, you're doing uh, a five by five, uh, deadlift rep scheme, five sets of five, right. Um, you need to make sure that if, if you are using sort of a, a very, very simple strategy that you are not, maxing out that five RM week one, because you need to, you need to create some runway. So you don't want to, it's good to know what your five RM is, but you don't start with your five RM, right? You work sort of towards and trying to get past that five RM. So you need to be able to pick a point where you can still make progress and improve the weight over the course of maybe four to six weeks, depending on what type of program you're using. So the big thing is, is leaving runway when it comes to choosing a weight selection, right? Because if you are doing a five by five rep scheme and it's a true like, okay, this is as heavy as I could go five by five yet. You're so you're supposed to be doing five by five for four to six weeks. Well, you just redlined yourself and you are going to plateau quickly, or you're probably going to get injured because you came in too hot. So that's why it's important to understand like where people are at and to leave a little bit of runway. But I think it really comes down to the communication because I will use, uh, for the majority of the time, I'll use an RIR or, or, or an RPE. Um, there are times where I will kind of nail down percentages, but it really depends on the individual and the situation that they're in. But the reason why I like the RIR and the RPE is simply because it, it it's real life, right? I mean, there aren't too many people that don't have distractions that all they do is train. And you can say, well, today our goal is to do two by two at 92 and a half percent. And what happens if, you know, that individual didn't sleep, their kids sick, they had a stress, you know, stressful day at work and they're, they didn't sleep and they feel like rubbish. And you're asking them to do a two by two at 92 and percent. And they're not feeling it. Well, something's got to give, and it's probably something on their body that shouldn't be giving. So, um, it's it's actually more about, in my opinion, the communication, not the application of how you use RAR, RPE, linear periodization, wave loading, etc. Sorry, that was a
1: big rant. I like it, uh, and just to just to clarify, or uh, you know, give give a, some context, give runway means give space to build up speed and momentum. Yep. Um, just for those people that weren't connecting with the uh, runway uh, analysis. Um, it means uh, if we're going to if we're going to get a haircut, we don't want it to take too much off on the first pass because then your options for what to do become limited and you look like me or, um, me. or Mike. <laughs> um, so, yeah, give runway, allow space to build up. And I think that comes down back into that expectation uh, conversation a little bit where people think I need to be pushing at a hundred percent and uh, every set needs to be taken to the max and you know all, all of this kind of stuff. So rating and perceived exertion, we talked about it a lot there in reference to um, strength training, but that same conversation happens from a, a conditioning standpoint. So uh, there's, Pavel talks about it at uh, Strong Endurance is, um, or I can't remember, Pavel talks about it, I I can't remember which of the situations I heard it from, Um, like in reference to mountain climbing, don't climb faster than you can talk, because if you climb faster than you can talk and carry on a conversation, and that's been a metric and an idea that's been used uh, for people's, um, you know, lower intensity cardiovascular work. For a long time. Like, if you can't carry on a conversation when you're walking with your friends, you've probably passed the alactic uh, threshold and you're, you're probably, you know, uh, partially at least glycolytic um, and you're processing things in such a way. And heart rate, respiratory, heart rate, breathing, cellular respiration, waste products, big, messy conversation we may get into in a future podcast. But essentially, there's multiple reasons for your breathing to uptick. Uh, when you're in activity, and part of that can be your body just has this excess CO2 or uh, by waste products, hydrogen ions, whatever. Uh, that in the process of dealing with those, you need to expel more stuff, so your breathing kicks up. Anyway, so like, don't climb faster than you can walk. Be able to carry on a conversation if you're doing your lower intensity cardiovascular work. We've known that for a while. Um, and one of the strong first stop signs, don't go above an RPD of eight. And that applies whether we're talking to conditioning or talking to uh, strength training. So, um, developing that relationship uh, between your effort and output, what's happening, you know, the talk test, timeless strategy, however we want to refer to it, being able to carry on that conversation, being able to speak in short sentences before you start your next set. Uh, so that RPE scale, uh, that applies both conditioning standpoint, uh, and strength training standpoint, not so much repetitions in reserve, unless we're doing kettlebell snatches or swings, like then we could maybe talk repetitions in reserve, but not quite as applicable on the the conditioning side of things. Um, so I think the, um, you know, another stop sign is not, not going for the burn. And I, I think there's a lot of folks out there that they expect it, like it's I'm supposed to get the that nice uh, burn in the muscles, uh, and and you know that's why that's how I know I'm doing you know work and stuff like that. Well, that burn is literally burn, like it's it's an accumulation of of, uh, of acid congestion in the area, blood flow being in, inhibited, uh, that impacts how quickly you're going to recover. And, you know, we talked about it, I think a couple of weeks ago, we talked about that, the the six sets of four every two minute study that I looked at. And even though they equated volume, same percentage of one RM, um, the only thing that was different was the density. Uh, six sets of four with a um, um, set every two minutes, five five by five, um, or three sets of eight, rather, three sets of eight with a five minute rest. Well, the six sets of four lower Lower metabolic cost, lower neurological cost, lower mechanical cost, better recovery, better results. Um, we want to stimulate adaptation that's easy to recover from. We don't always need to burn uh, ourselves out. And honoring RPE and repetitions and reserve can be a really important way to to do that. But in, And it's amazing where you can take yourself. If you start managing your efforts... And staying below that RP of eight. If you manage those repetitions in reserve, if you stop when speed or technique changes, when you when you when you honor these things, initially, yes, you will probably do less <laughs> because you're used to doing too much and then burning and and you know having to have take extra time to recover. When you start honoring this stuff, yes, you'll initially do less, but in the end, man um because that's what I found with iron cardio. I started doing 240 300 repetition workouts uh where I was accumulating huge volume of work and felt great. Uh so it, there's a bitter pill initially, but there's huge benefit if you can uh, embrace this.
0: Well, you know, I think it comes down to sustainability and repeatability, right? So, you know, it's it's pretty easy to take a bunch of stimulants you know, get jacked up on some pre-workout, get yourself all fired up, right. And try to grip and rip a heavy deadlift. But what's the point of that? And is it repeatable and is it sustainable? And and the answer is no, it, it isn't. And you'll actually see that, um, you know, a lot of the advice from the really, really smart powerlifting coaches, um, they actually don't want you to go into a set too hyped up. They don't want you to go into a set all fired up. They want you to actually bring it down a notch because, um, you can have too much excitability in the nervous system and that can be counterproductive. Um, so, uh, you know, the really, really smart coaches and, and, and look, you look at like, like Louis Simmons, Westside barbell, and these guys are, you know, it's arguably the strongest gym in the world. Um, and, and they put out some amazing content and some of the amazing lifters, but he was still, you know, very, very much. All right. Like, even on your speed day right when you're actually doing you're you're pulling those 50 or or 60 percent of your max effort for for doubles with like 90 seconds off they don't want you all fired up and and you know slapping yourself in the face and and looking like an outtake from over the top by the way fantastic movie um but you have there there can be too much excitability and there's nothing wrong with getting excited and getting fired up and getting focused but Um, If you're down and, you know, a bunch of pre-workouts and you can't even focus and you're shaking again, that's not repeatable and that's not sustainable. Now, some people that's a methodology at a meet and at an event, but we're talking about a meet and an event versus every single day training and and trying to sort of punch the clock. And if your training is not repeatable and sustainable, it's not a good program because you're not banking on a, a very sustainable model of stress and adaptation you're banking on hey i'm jacked up right now and i'm hoping for the best and it does it work sometimes but not a lot and you can't i'm not putting my money on that
1: well anybody that's familiar with the fast and the furious franchise um or some older movies where they were you know trying to get away from the cops or racing cars um you had nas Uh, nitric oxide, uh, which is you know, you turn the little knob and the the nitrous oxide goes into the engine and you go really, really fast, uh, until the engine blows up. And so, (laughs) if you don't uh, control the NAS, um, you damage the car and you can't get away from anybody. Uh, that's the adrenaline system, and that's what you're talking about. There is when you're smacking yourself in the face, sniffing, smelling salts, and drinking three, you know, whatever. Energy drinks before you work out and listening to the uh mommy never hugged me, daddy never loved me music. Um, and you know, getting getting all psyched up, um you're burning your adrenaline system. And there's a cost to that. Um, and you can look at it's it's actually a fascinating part of strong endurance where you look at uh you know, the nor, uh, norepinephrine and epinephrine and uh, the core, the ratio between those uh, and longevity. Um, if you burn more epinephrine than norepinephrine, that species has a shorter lifespan uh, because their engines burning hotter all the time. So um, it's work. You want to develop this manual labor kind of work mentality to the training where, um, you know, it's not quite, you know, it's time to make the donuts uh, sort of uh, mentality, uh, but close uh, where, you know, you're, we're still going to take things very seriously, set up as your first rep, focused on the execution of every rep. Um, but we're not going to burn the adrenaline system. We're not going to get psyched because we're doing a set of five. Woo. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're, we're going to treat it like it's a set of anything that we're doing. Uh, so careful with that NAS, careful with the adrenaline system. Um, you know, you, you actually, the more chill you are, the better. And if you choose to use an exc- excitation strategy uh, and burn the adrenaline system for that, little bit of bump it can give you on your lift. Do you need to practice that at some point? Yes, but you only need to practice it enough to know how to do it. It's not something you practice every time you train. And so controlling those efforts and uh, controlling what's happening um, with that adrenaline system with the NAS uh, actually really important. And that's going to start messing with your RP and your R- RIR. If you're used to doing that, and all of a sudden, you start saying, "Okay, I'm going to listen to Brett and Mike and Pavel, and we're not going to burn the NAS, and we're going to, you know, readjust. And I'm just going to work out, just going to practice, just going to train." Um, well, your RP and your RIR are going to be different because now you're not hopped up, uh, and you're going to have to readjust. So there'll be an adjustment period there.
0: Yeah, and 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 you know, I think another thing too is is um, if you've ever competed. Uh, and whether it's, uh, you know, a powerlifting meet or, and, and, you know, I've, I've never done a powerlifting meet. I've, I've coached people for powerlifting meets, but I've competed in jujitsu and, uh, I'll be the first one to, to admit. Um, when I, when I compete in jujitsu, I am scared to death. I am nervous. I am scared. Um, I'm feeling all the stuff. Right. And, um, because of that, my adrenaline's are already high, Right. My cortisol levels are already high. My body is already like literally adapting to those stress hormones. And I'm already on this sort of sort of fight type ready scenario. My parasympathetic uh, nervous system's through the roof. And, and here's what people do, right? At that point, there's already such a high level of the excitation because of the environment. The last thing you need is a bunch of stimulants on top of that, because you know what you are going to do? You're probably going to overdo it and you're probably going to injure yourself. Um, and or you're just gonna burn up burn out prematurely because um when you are put in a scenario that you are not acclimated to, whether it's a powerlifting meet or a fight, like an MMA fight, I work with a lot of fighters or, or a grappling match, um you have to you have to know how to manage that stress. Cause it's gonna be there. It's it's you know, for people to be like, oh, I don't get stressed, that's a bunch of BS. Everybody gets stressed. It's the ability to manage the stress based off of like practicing how to manage stress or, you know, how many times have you been in that scenario? You know, I just had a guy that had his first UFC fight, uh, three, four weeks ago. And that's very different than some of my other fighters that have had 15 appearances in the UFC cage. So I think the big thing is, is, you know, talking about the stress and and getting yourself a little bit fired up. We just need to make sure that if you are going to, you know, implement a strategy where you're going to take a pre-workout or whatever, or get really, really fired up, know how your body responds. Don't just try it at the meet and hope for the best because it will not go well because there is already this crazy, crazy level of excitation. And, uh, you know, that, that kind of brings us back to like training in general. Like if you're going to the gym three days a week, let's first of all, awesome. And you're training. Um, I understand you want a good workout and, and most people view, uh, a a good workout as, you know, did I get my ass kicked and am I a little sore? And am I, am I a little smoked? And unfortunately that's just the way it is. That's how some people view a good workout. That's not, um, that's how I used to. Um, but it, it, it simply doesn't work that way. And, uh, I always think of, and I forget who it was. Um, it was, a it was an Olympian and they were just talking about a conversation they had with their coach about workouts and they called it the rule of thirds. Uh, one third of the time, you're going to have a great workout. Another third of the time, you're gonna have a crappy workup. And then the last third, it's just gonna be an okay workup. And if you go in to your your training sessions, just understanding that it's the law of average, right? One out of every three is gonna be is gonna be good, but the other two are probably not. As long as you understand the reality of that you're going to do a little bit better because you know that you're going to like the bad days coming. You just don't know when. And then at least if you understand, you can comprehend that. um, It doesn't mean you don't show up on the bad day. It just means you don't go crazy on the bad day. What you do is you actually use that bad day to set yourself up for another good day by actually making better decisions and better choices within that training session.
1: Down south, we just say the sun doesn't shine on the same dog's butt every day. That's
0: a that I feel like that's uh guys that is the title of our next country song. <laughs>
1: um Brett and I will be releasing
0: an album. <laughs> it's a long title. Uh it's a long dung, title. Dung, 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 dung.
1: Um, um but yeah, I I think that um it's that sickle, cyclical nature. Uh that was uh, February 2002 when I was at my first cert with Pavel. Um you know somebody came up with a saying from the old uh, cross country skiing community. Only the mediocre are at their best every day. Yeah. Um, everybody else is going to hit peaks and valleys and you're going to have this cyclical nature to your training. Now, hopefully in general, and when you look at the preponderance of the information and the training cycle, we are guiding ourselves towards a new peak and then we are choosing to step back down. And we had mentioned linear periodization early on and tying that in. And so linear periodization, uh, let's say, let's keep the math easy uh, because I I don't do math. Um, so you have a hundred kilo bench press and you're going to set up a linear periodization. We want to shoot for about a 5% increase. Yep. Um, so we're going to say 105, which I think is mathematically correct for a 5% increase to a hundred. I'm not a hundred percent sure on that actually. So <laughs> somebody correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, And we're going to count backwards uh, X number of weeks. Let's say we want to do that in 12 weeks. So we're going to count back and we're going to start around 65, 70% of that new 1RM. And we're going to go from a fairly high volume of work. Let's say we're doing a five by five or um, uh, something of that nature. And then over the course of those weeks leading to that new 1RM, we are going to progressively go up, say, 5% at a time. And pretty much, maybe every 10%, we're going to change the volume. So we might go from a five by five to a four by four to a three by three to a two by two. And we're doing that over a series of weeks as we're making those percentage increases. What you'll find is that RIR, to your point earlier of connecting RII and RIR and RPE, is initially you're going to have a very high percent of repetitions in reserve or R- low RPE five or six on the scale. And over the course of those weeks, you are going to have less and less repetitions in reserve getting down to where you only have two or three in reserve. Uh, And the RPE is, is going to climb to where you're approaching that eight on the RPE scale. So that's how you would look at that RPE and RIR in laying out a very simple linear periodization over a few weeks to get to a new one rM., uh, now, life is gonna happen if things go well, maybe you hit that five percent and you're like, man, that was easy. Maybe you eke out a seven percent increase. Cool. That's great. Rinse and repeat. It's just mm-hmm. like shampoo. Um, so that's that's kind of how all of that stuff comes together. And again, more from a strength training perspective, from a conditioning perspective, we in general want to pass that talk test between sets. We want to uh, never go over that RP of eight. We want to listen to our breathing. Um, and so that's a big soupy reply to try to pull everything together.
0: Yeah. And, and you know what, I, I think there's a couple things to sort of, uh, kind of think about as we sort of get to the tail end of this, but um, all of these work, all of these methodologies work. I think it really depends on your goals, uh, the individual, the, the the global stress of the individual, where they're at. Right? I mean, putting someone on a linear periodization program that's an accountant in the middle of tax season is probably not the smartest thing. So there, it's multifactorial. But I think the big thing is, is um, <clears throat> you know, there's there's so many fantastic programs out there, and 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 this is a uh, you know definitely a, a strong first plug, but um, the SFL manual. Um, might be the most impactful program design manual I think I've ever seen when it comes to options about linear periodization. Because, I mean, Pavel did an incredible job uh, you know, putting that together along with your help and Doc Hartle and everything else. But, um, you know, I think there's great information on all those different types of programming. But if you tend to look at linear periodization, um, what you're going to see is it's going to be a very, very high to low method. You're going to start with a higher volume, right? And uh, you're going to eventually work towards lower volume, but the load is going to increase. So it's going to make a big X. Um but I, I think uh, you know there's a few things that you should absolutely look into when it comes to linear periodization. Um, you know, obviously Strong First has some amazing information. Uh, you know, for Plan Strong, Strong Endurance. But um, honestly, some other stuff that you can look into is like um, you know, look at a proliferance chart and some basic ideas of sets and reps and relative intensity because that'll give you some ideas on how to uh, kind of start to lay out a program and, and start writing programs and see if it works, right? Because um, generally speaking and and this is just for someone who's been programming for a while, you know, if you're using the barbell lifts and you're doing, you know, deadlift, squat, bench, um, usually if it's a squat or uh, a deadlift, the, the jumps are going to be a little bit bigger, you know, but if you're moving under four to 500 pounds in all of your barbell lifts, you're going to probably have a five, 10, 15, or at most 20% jump weekly, depending on the length of your program, you start getting into people that deadlift, you know, or squat in the sevens or the eights. Your your jumps are going to change simply because, um, you know the the uh, the overall poundage is, is just going to be that much different. You know, twenty percent of four hundred, and I mean, sorry, five percent of four hundred and five percent of seven hundred is, is a different number altogether. But I think regardless, um, there's a little bit of common sense and a little bit of practice with all of this. But look at what your client needs, look at where they are in their, in their lives and in their season. And when I say season, I'm not saying spring, summer, fall, but in their life, are they at a point where they can actually work a little bit harder based off of everything else that's going on? So, I mean, this is just part of training in general and, and, um, trying to make better decisions, whether it's for yourself and your own training program or for your clients. So, um, understand, uh, rate of perceived exertion, right. Understand how to communicate with your clients, understand rir repetitions and reserve and how to articulate that in a very very conversational way very layman's terms and the same thing goes for linear periodization write a few programs like get on a whiteboard and and start sketching it out based off of three percent jumps or four percent jumps or five and just start messing around with programs i mean i I don't want to say you can't mess it up but if you look at basic guidelines of periodization look at proliferance chart look at the sets and reps that are given to us via science and practice and you'll get better at writing programs. So, um, you know, there's a lot that goes into it, but this is just part of being a seasoned strength coach and understanding what is going to be the best direction for you or for your clients and athletes. So,
1: um, let me th- let me throw one more scale in the mix right here at the end. Uh, cause that's what I like to do. Um, readiness scale, you know, if for yourself or for your students, um, if you had a five point scale, Five is winner, winner, chicken dinner. I am recovered. I am, I'm ready. Throw it all at me. 100% ready. Four, not quite as ready. Three, middle of the road, somewhat stressed. Two, I probably better have an easy day. One, let's work on some breathing and fast to let drills. Let's turn the knob way down on, on our training. I think if you're honest about that, and you use that to guide where you're going to go for that session and make some good programming decisions on the fly, um, training gets a lot better. And this is an ongoing conversation. Um, like I said, I think I'm just now starting to really understand RPE for myself. Um, so I think that, um, you know, the, this is an ongoing, lifelong conversation to develop because as your capacities change, to your point, the, the person that's progressed to pulling seven hundred pounds, their RPE scale is way different than yours. When yeah. when you're you're pulling two twenty five, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's exactly. A, there's a different thing happening there. So hey, I, listen, I, I was having is, a bad,
0: I was having a bad day when I pulled two twenty five. Okay,
1: I well, <laughs> that's what you say. Uh, it's a PR. <laughs> it's PR. Uh, PR every day. So the uh yeah I I think it's an ongoing conversation uh it's a fascinating conversation and it's it's one of the things that bridges the gap between that science uh and art of of training. Absolutely.
0: Well Brett, another one in the books. Um as as always it's it's great to chat and learn from you. Um for those of you if you enjoyed this podcast do us a big favor and give us a positive review on whatever platform you're listening to. Or you could share it with your friends, colleagues, loved ones, whatever worked for you. Thank you so much. And we will see you on the next episode. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, everybody. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, we're going to ask you for a favor. Please leave us some positive reviews. Be sure to subscribe and share with your friends, family, and colleagues. Thanks again for listening to the Minimum Effective Dose Podcast.